0: Great to see you. Uh, my name is John T. am one of the leaders here and it's terrific to having you with us. And we're going to have a look at Genesis um, chapter 1, the book we just read. So if you get that open in front of you, that would really help you. And we've spent a couple of weeks in Genesis so far and it's been setting out this kind of vision for us of life, a vision of what it means to truly live. It's set before us life in all its fullness it's set before us God the powerful creator and the challenge has really been why would you choose to worship anything other than him why would you bow down to other gods here is God the creator choose worship choose life choose God And today, we're going to zoom in. Last week, it was big stuff on all of creation. Today, we're going to zoom in on humanity. What does it mean to be human? We're going to do some basic anthropology. Are we simply highly evolved animals? Or is there something more going on? Can I say, I don't think there are many more practical questions to answer and to have an answer to than this question of who are you? What are you? It seems to me that this is the question on which all our sense of worth and value and importance, it all hangs on this question. Let me give you a simple example just to paint a scene for you before we actually get into the text. Um, There are two ways for something to have value, okay? The first way for something to have value is that it... Has value from something outside of itself. So a few years ago, and um, Banksy, the uh, graffiti artist, pretty famous uh, guy, he, uh, he painted some uh, canvases, and then an old man took them onto the streets of New York, and he was selling them on this, just on a little pop-up stall in on a street in New York. It's a great video, and they were selling them for like I think forty-five dollars for a canvas. No one knew they were Banksy. They were just like canvases. And people wa- nearly everybody just walked by. One bloke stopped. He said, I like these. These are nice. I'll take three. So one bloke bought three of them. A couple of other people bought them. But those paintings were worth about £30,000 each. You see, the, the interesting thing is that their value was not actually in the canvas and the paint. Their value was in Banksy, the one who made them. That was where their value came from. It came from the one who made them. That's one way to have value. The other way to have value is to something more intrinsic, something about who you are. So I have at home, I have a potato peeler. Um, It is a great potato peeler. By which I mean, it peels potatoes really well. So it's valuable to me. Because of the function that it can perform. Its performance makes it valuable. I don't know who made it. I don't care. I haven't tracked down the manufacturer of my potato peeler because that's irrelevant. It has value in as much as it's able to do the thing which it's supposed to do. So let me ask you this afternoon. Are you valuable because someone made you? Or are you valuable because of your performance? Because of what you're able to do. You see, if you jettison Genesis chapter 1, if you get rid of God, then you're left with a potato peeler mentality in life. And you will spend your life trying to prove that you're good at peeling potatoes. Trying to prove that you have worth. And that is a recipe for slavery. And we're going to see that the Bible's worldview of what it means to be human is where true freedom is to be found. You will only discover that you're free when you discover you have nothing to prove, because your value is not to do with what you can achieve, but in the God who made you. So I want to say this afternoon, this is foundational stuff, and I hope that this afternoon it will get us a little bit excited about hu- being human, the answer Genesis 1 gives us to what it means to be human is stunning. And it lies at the foundation of everything the Bible says about being human. So we're going to, um, first thing I want you to see is that we are created as image bearers. You were created, you were created to be an image bearer. Let's have a look back at the text and see this for ourselves. Have a look at verse 26. Here it is, Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Okay, forget the image bit for a second. Just go for the first bit. Even that's pretty mind-blowing. Let us make mankind. Here's the foundational truth that you have to know about who you are. You were created. You are not an accident. You were created. My, uh, my tutor at university, who I talked about a couple of weeks ago, was a massive atheist. He believed in no God, no creator. And he said this, the human race... Must realize how insignificant it is we are just a bit of slime on a planet belonging to one sun. That is how he lived his life. That's Peter Atkins, quoted in The Daily Telegraph. That was his view of the world. So the only value that you can have is if you can be really good slime. If you can slime around really well, then you might be able to say, "Well, I'm, at least I'm pretty I'm better slime than that slime over there. That's not much to aim for, is it? Now, interestingly, if you listen today, atheists have stepped back from that sort of language. You would never hear atheists talking like that now because they realize it doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is because you know you're not slime. You listen to someone say that and you go, Shut up. How dare you? And so what atheists have done is they have changed their language. This is what Brian Cox has done, Professor Brian Cox. You listen to Brian Cox, he speaks differently. So what Brian Cox has done is he's realized that we are innately, we are inherently religious. You can't escape it. You can't escape that we yearn for something more. He's realized that. So he's still an atheist, but he would never describe you as slime. He now uses the language of wonder. He uses the language of majesty. And when he does his documentaries, if you've never seen it, you should watch some of his documentaries. They're very interesting. He stands, he looks into the camera. He's young, he's reasonably good looking. He looks into the camera. The sun is shining behind him. It's like he's got a halo around his head. Now listen to this. Listen very carefully. This is literally what he says. You were formed in the heart of a star. You're made of stardust. You see? Now, don't be conned. That's no different to slime. just sounds better. I don't want to be slime. Stardust? Well, yes, I like the sound of that. (laughs) It's a con. Brian Cox is conning our nation by just using language that we like more. It still means that you're an accident. It still means that no one made you. It still means that you came from some random explosion. The Bible has a much bigger view, a much better view. The Bible says there's a God in heaven and he said, let us make mankind. You were created. You were conceived in the mind of God. You were designed by him and he formed you. There's a song I used to know that... Uh, well, I still know. There's a song that goes, has the line, I can see the fingerprints of God when I look at you. That's better than Stardust. And that's the Bible's worldview. I want us to breathe that in this afternoon. You were made. You were created. Can I say that many of us sitting in this room tonight feel like we don't conform to culture's definition of being a great human being. Many of us here tonight, we, we don't feel like we're that great. Culture says you're supposed to be like this and we feel rubbish. We feel like we're the wrong shape, we feel like we don't fit in, we feel like we're the wrong, we have the wrong desires, we, feel, we just feel a mess, right? And so we spend our lives desperately trying to prove ourselves. No, the Bible says, no, I made you. God says, I made you. Psalm 139 says, I knitted you together. What an intimate picture of God getting out his knitting needles to knit you. It's beautiful. Now listen, when he says, I made you, that's true of all of creation, right? But now you've got to see there's something specific about humanity. It's not just that you were created by God. Look what he says, let us make mankind in our image. So just to have been created by God would have been cool, but it's more. You've been created by God in his image, which of course raises questions. What does that mean? What does it mean to be in the image of God? Does that mean we look like God? Now some people saying, no, of course it doesn't mean that, that's stupid, because, you know, can't mean that. Don't be too hasty. Don't be too hasty to write that off. God made humanity, body and soul, a physical being, and he said, this is in my image. It must be something to do with us being physical. What is this image? What does it mean? Some people talk about it being like um, they want to tightly define the image of God. I want to make it really clear exactly what the image is. The Bible doesn't really do that, it's a big phrase and it doesn't really pin it down. Some people say, well, it's about qualities that we possess. You know, so we're relational. Most of us, we're moral, most of us, we're intelligent, we're, do you mean we're uh, creative and so on. And those are the things that make us in the image of God. I don't think that's right. I don't think those are the things that define what it means to be in the image of God. Some people think it's in terms of our role. So we're given this role to rule over God's creation and that's what it means to be in the image of God. I don't think that's right. I don't think our work of ruling creation is what it means to be in the image of God. I actually think it's a lot more simple than that. I think this idea of the image of God exists in the relationship that exists between original and its image. This language of the image of God is telling us how we relate to the God who made us. An image only has meaning in relationship to the thing that it's an image of. That's how it works. And so we are being told, you, humanity, find your definition and your meaning and your purpose not within yourself, but in the original, the creator who made you. You are his image. In other words, this image language is about a connection that exists between the original and the image, between the creator and the creature. And that connection is the key. The image is utterly dependent upon the original for meaning. Look, have you been to Madame Tussauds? Who's been to Madame Tussauds? It's very expensive, so I'm not surprised. Um, Madame Tussauds is the famous, if you've never heard of it, Um, that's okay, Uh, it's the famous museum full of waxworks, where they make models, waxwork models, to be like famous celebrities. And um, at first sight, it sounds like a terribly boring thing to go and look at models of uh, famous celebrities. But actually, it's quite interesting. This is what happens, right? You walk in. Like, this is going to be rubbish. This is going to be totally rubbish. I don't know why I paid my 50 quid to come in here. And you walk in and you go, oh, that's Tom Cruise. That's Tom, it's actually Tom Cruise. And you go over there. Now, you sort of know it's not Tom Cruise. It's not Tom Cruise. But no one is so, you know, you don't say, you know, the, the family walk in and the kid goes, it's oh, Tom Cruise. The dad goes, no, of course it's not Tom Cruise. Don't be stupid. Everyone gets that's how images and originals work. There's a connection between, of course it's not Tom Cruise. It's a model, it's wax. And yet in a very real way, you can say, that's Tom Cruise. Because there is a connection between the image and the original. There is a reflection. The image reflects the original. So here's my little summary of what it means to be an image. It's about a reflection connection. You are connected to God and you reflect him. That's what it means to be in his image. There is a connection between God and humanity. Of course, if you go in Madame Tussauds into the, um, the bit where they have the world leaders, they've got a um, waxwork of Donald Trump. Now, when I last went to Madame Tussauds, which obviously wasn't that long ago because Trump hasn't been there for ages, I spent about 15 minutes watching the waxwork of Donald Trump. Which I appreciate is odd. (laughs) Except that it's fascinating. Because everybody who walks into the room has a reaction to that waxwork. And the reaction is extraordinary. I could have watched all day. People walk in and you can see them react. They will walk up to the waxwork. Some people walked up to the waxwork and swore in his face. They were so, and it wasn't a joke. They were so angry, it, it provoked this reaction. Some people grabbed his tie. Yet I'm amazed that the model just doesn't get smashed. Because people react so viciously. Number one, the point I'm trying to make is that there is this extraordinary connection. In in that pathetic little waxwork example, there is still a strong correlation between how you react to the waxwork and to the real thing. Their reaction to the waxwork reflects what they think of the real thing. That's how images work. The image reflects the original. The image gives glory. It points to the original A waxwork model that has no original is meaningless. Imagine if Madame Two Swords was just full of random waxworks that were of nobody. It would be weird. I remember when I was little I went to Madame Two Two Swords and there was this, I don't know, some queen was dying on a bed somewhere and there was this waxwork of this lady who was just one of the servants. I asked her three times to get out of the way because I couldn't see until I realized that she was a waxwork. um, But no one looked, she didn't represent anyone, she wasn't anyone. So the image is connected to the original, it's a reflection connection. Humanity reflects God. Now of course, look, if Tom Cruise actually walked into the room, no one's going to be bothered about the waxwork anymore. Because the whole point of the waxwork is to point to Tom Cruise. And if Tom Cruise is actually there, then he's the one who gets swamped. So here's the thing. God, the powerful creator, has chosen to place within his creation an image that exists to reflect his glory. And that is what you are. You have a connection to the creator. And you reflect him. So you're not a random accident. You're an image bearer of God. Now let's just notice a a couple of things uh, from the text. We've tried to unpack this image thing. Well, let's have a look then at um, verse 26. What do you make of this plural stuff that's going on? You see, God suddenly seems to be speaking to himself. Let us make mankind in our image. What's going on there? Well, we can't be absolutely certain, but it seems to indicate that within God there is some sort of plurality. I don't think he's talking to the angels, because he's not making the humans in the form of angels. He's making the humans in the form of God, in the likeness of God. So already here you begin to get this sense that there is one God, but this creator God has within him a plurality. There is more than one person within this one God. And therefore, when God creates humanity, what does he make? Do you notice he makes plurality? So when you flick over to verse 26, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Humanity in our plurality reflects the glory and connects to the plurality of the God who made us. This means that sexism, any form of sexism where one sex is elevated to the um, exclusion of the other is absolutely abhorrent according to the Bible. Men are not created in the image of God on their own. Women are not created in the image of God on their own. Male and female together created in the image of God. We can celebrate what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And together we can reflect and connect to the great creator God who made us. This means that there is no place for men or women to exert authority over the other. Here is the grounds of equality between men and women. I think in the church this has been badly missed represented in the past and probably still in many places today we want to be a church which is absolutely committed to the equality of male and female in the image of God but we want to be committed to being male and female because that's how we represent God that's how we image God. So it smashes apart any sense of sexism. But do you notice that what God tells them to do then? Um, what, what flows out of this image of God? Well, look at verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Roll over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is where the waxwork illustration completely falls apart. Because Donald Trump just stands there doing nothing, silent and dumb, looking like Donald Trump. But humanity is not created to be a dumb waxwork. Humanity is created with a mission, with a purpose, to be blessed by God, to live under his favour, to live under his smile. And to fill the earth. To fill the earth with what? To fill the earth with stuff? No, to fill the earth with image bearers of God. Because if the earth is filled with image bearers of God, then do you see that the earth will be full of the glory of God? Everywhere you go, there will be glory to God. So humanity is to be fruitful, is to have more image bearers, in order the earth might be filled. Not only to fill the earth, but to rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living... Humanity exercises rule over God's creation, not in a harsh way. Not in a brutal way that just says, ah, this I'll take whatever I can get. But in a way that loves and cares for the creation that God has made. Why? Because we're in his image. We reflect God to this world. And then God says, I'll give every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, every tree that has fruit with seed in it. Here it is. God is giving them food. God loves this these creatures that he's made, these image-bearers. They're so precious to him. He gives them food. And then all the beasts of the end, all the birds, all the creatures, everything has breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food and it was so. According to Genesis 1, when God created the world, there was... Everyone was vegetarian. That's what it says. I think that's because there is no death. There's no death in Genesis 1. Nothing dies. And so you eat the beautiful fruit that God has made. And then God looks and it's very good. There's evening and there's morning, the sixth day. So here, right here in Genesis chapter 1, is the foundation of all dignity, all value, all purpose. This is who we were created to be. You are not valuable because of what you are. You're not valuable because of how well you peel potatoes. You are valuable because you're created in the image and likeness of God. Now that means, let's just apply that for a second. We're going to see just briefly then how it's all gone wrong, but let me just um, apply that for a second. That means the way we treat one another really matters. If I walk up to Donald Trump's face and swear in his face and then punch him, his model, and he's standing in the same room as me, he's going to be offended. Okay? I have... I can't, I can't attack his likeness while at the same time, hey, Don, not I love it to see you, <laughs> right? That is exactly the argument that the Bible later uses for how we treat one another. Just keep a finger in Genesis um, chapter 1. Turn to James, uh, right near the end of the Bible, James 3. James 3 verse 9. Look at this, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings. Sorry, this is page 1215, sorry I should have told you that. 1215. James chapter 3, 1215. With the tongue, listen to the argument, we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. If you have been created in the image of God, if I curse you, then I am cursing God. That's just the way it works. Later on in Genesis chapter 9, God is going to say, if human blood is shed... That is the most serious thing because humans bear the image of God. Here is the foundation for all arguments against racism. How dare we treat one another as less equal? How dare we? This is so powerful, this teaching about the image of God. Humanity equal in value. Equal in worth. It does not matter whether you are rich or poor, whether you are black or white, whether you are male or female, whether you are impressive or unimpressive, whether you are intelligent or not, whether you have got a degree or nothing. It doesn't matter. All of humanity created in the image of God. You treat one another with dignity because we are in the image of God. So this afternoon, do you understand that when God made you, he made you in his image and likeness. A connection, reflection between him and his creation. And that's really the big thing that we need to get hold of. What I'm going to do now is I just want to show you how that theme of image takes a darker turn in the story of the Bible. That's where it starts in Genesis chapter 1. That's the big thing we need to get our heads around. But I want to just take you through the rest of the Bible story, and to show you secondly, that instead we become an image maker. What happens is, rather than being image bearers, we decide that rather than being connected to God and reflecting Him, we'd rather be image makers. We'd rather build images for ourselves. We look away from God, the original, and instead we look to creation. And suddenly we want to start to make an image if you turn to Genesis 11, just flick over to Genesis 11, page 12 in the Bibles. Remember, the great words of God, come let us make man in our image. Have a look at verse chapter, chapter 11 verse 3. The people, human beings said, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Verse 4, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to heaven, so we may make a name for ourselves. So suddenly what happens is humanity starts to say, no, let us make. We don't want to be image bearers. We want to be image makers. We're going to make some stuff. We want to be the original with stuff that makes us look good. We don't want to be the image that worships and reflects God. We now want to be the original that makes images to reflect well on us. And this sets humanity off on a pathway of idolatry, a pathway where we replace the image of God for images made from creation. And so I'm sorry to make you do lots of turning over, but it helps you just to see it. Uh, Turn to Daniel chapter 3 just to see this again. Daniel chapter 3, I want to show you a classic example of an image builder because it will help us to see it, I hope, in our own hearts, how we do this. Page 886 is great, thank you. Page 886, Daniel chapter 3. We're tracing through this this idea of image now. Remember the beauty, the wonder of being an image of God. But look what King Nebuchadnezzar does. He was a slightly proud man. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. So he makes an image, right? Do you see it? God makes an image and it's us to reflect his glory. Nebuchadnezzar said, I don't want to be in your image. I'm going to make an image. And what's his image like? Well, he doesn't make a little bunny rabbit. He doesn't make a kind of jelly bunny rabbit. I'm going to make an image of myself. It's going to be a bunny rabbit. No, because it's got to be impressive. It's got to reflect something of his magnificence. So he makes this whopping great statue, all of gold. And there's no question that it's supposed to reflect him. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, to reflect his glory. And he says to her now, I to bow down to my statue. And it's a way of reflecting glory to himself. And even spells that out in Daniel chapter 4 if you pay, turn over one page. This is his heart. Daniel chapter 4, look at verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? He's not subtle. Look what I have made for me. I built myself an image and now I'm getting the glory. And can I say that that is what lies at the heart of human idolatry. The desire to make something that reflects well on me. So now I want to make an image. That's why our culture is obsessed with image. Because my image is what reflects me to the world. My image is what people think of me. My image, this thing that I've got to build, I'm told I've got to have an image, it matters to me because it reflects on me. So we're constantly building an image for ourselves. And the things that you think reflect well on you, the things that you want people to look at and to reflect and go, wow, look at that. They're the things that are precious to you. Whether that's your looks, whether that's your achievements, whether that's your career. The things that reflect on you, they bother you. I was thinking about this this week and I thought, why is it that I don't want my kids to be badly behaved in church? Actually, fundamentally, it's because I don't want you to have a bad image of me. Because it reflects on me. So you know, see, there's all these things that we say, this, this makes me look bad. I don't want to look bad. I want to look great. So I want you all to be impressed. So therefore, I'm going to try and get my kids to behave. Because if you don't behave, you're going to spoil my image. You see, that begins to say that there's something in my heart, right? What is it that you say, no, this is too precious. I, I, I can't lose this. I can't have this attacked because it will damage my reputation. We're trying to build an image. And the irony is that all the time you were created to be an image. You were created to reflect God. It was never about you. But that's what happens when we reject God. And that's why we spend our lives desperately trying to build an image, desperately trying to impress people, desperately trying to have things that reflect well on us. And all the time we're trashing the image that God made in us. Well, one final thing as we finish, um, because there is some very good news. This language of image goes from image of God, it goes to the images that we then build. God says, do not make images, but we do. We make images all the time. Finally, we discover that there is an image restorer. So just one last place to turn. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It's on page 1182. 1182. Humanity has so badly trashed the image of God that God had a plan to sort things out. Here was his plan. He sent his son. Chapter 1, verse 15. The son is the image of... Of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus Christ came and became a man. And as the perfect man, he became the perfect image of God. Everything that Jesus did was not to gain glory for himself, but was to reflect glory to his Father. Everything that he did was to reflect glory. There's this extraordinary connection between Jesus and his Father and the perfect image of God has walked this earth. He never tried to prove himself. He never tried to reflect. He never tried to impress anyone. He was always lived for the glory of his Father. And it's in him that we can be restored to what we were always supposed to be we still reflect the glory of God even in our messed up world. But in Christ, we can begin to become what we were supposed to be when God made us. Which is why, I don't remember turning to it, but very next, in chapter three of Colossians, God says that in Christ, you are being renewed in knowledge in the image of your creator. And it's in Christ now that our image making can be forgiven and then we can get our eyes off our images that we want to make for ourselves and we get our eyes back on God and say, you know what, I want to reflect you. That's where freedom's found. Making images will exhaust you. You'll never do enough. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be pretty enough. You'll never be thin enough. You'll never be fast enough. You'll never be clever enough. But when you see that you were made to be in God's image, you don't have to do any of that. It's for him, and you live for him. Now, to help us just um, reflect on these things, um, I want to show you some questions. Um, this is 121. This is a, a web app that um, we use as a church. If you're new to the church, and this is your introduction to it. Um, you can find it on www.one21.org. And there are questions here. The, the idea is you then go and meet up with a friend and chat through um, the sermon that we've just been listening to. Um, here are three questions then that you could think about um, this afternoon. If we bear God's image, what does that say about how we find worth and value? Think about it. Where do you look for worth and value? Where, 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 do you see that it's actually in something that God has done for you? Rather than worshipping God and reflecting his glory, we prefer to make stuff to worship. Why will that always lead to frustration? So we're constantly trying to make images. Why is that going to be frustrating? And Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. How does Jesus reflect his Father's glory? Take some time to worship him. Well, we're going to have a moment just to quiet. Why not take a moment to pray? Then we're going to sing. We're going to sing of that moment when Jesus, the image of God, went to a cross for us. He took our sin that he might renew us. Let's have a moment of quiet and then we're going to sing. And then we're going to celebrate communion together.